Welcome back into Bill's Chat Live. I am Josh McCarty. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, we are 12 days away from Bill's training camp. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. You know, we're getting into the meat of July, which also means we're kind of getting on the tail end of what is kind of the dog days of the offseason kind of deal. So, um, yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm excited. Like training camp's one of those things where it's like I'm not all overly excited for, but you're just excited for it to come because that finally means we're turning the page and we're finally getting to somewhere where football is happening and we're actually going to be able to watch things. So that's awesome. Right now I'm more focused on though golf tournaments on weekends than anything else to be quite honest to pull the curtain back a little bit. Got a couple of this weekend and next weekend. So, looking forward to those, but I'm excited to be on this podcast and I'm excited for the little game we got going on today. I'm excited for one of these years. I will remember to close out of the YouTube video before we go live so I don't panic and have to close it out after we go live. But we'll get there eventually. But today is not that day, Luca. You mentioned we have a fun game to play. And I'm looking forward to tonight's episode. And I know, like, it's July. What what can we talk about that's Buffalo Bills related that hasn't been beaten to death? I feel your pain. And I promise you, Luca and I put a lot of effort into trying to find unique conversations to have about the Buffalo Bills that haven't been had elsewhere. And I'm pretty excited about this topic because what we're going to do tonight is Luca and I are going to draft a team of Bills players, snake draft style, with the goal in mind of who are going to be considered the best players on the Buffalo Bills after this season. And I think that's an important distinction, Luca, because we all know how good Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and Matt Milano have been and Stefan Diggs. And if you were going to rank the top 10 Buffalo Bills right now, based on where they're at in their career, I think we would all have a list that looks fairly similar. But there's a saying, it's not what have you done, it's what are you going to do? And when you look at this roster, there is a lot of room for regression for a lot of these players. And I I think that conversation of who's going to have a strong 2023, who needs to have a strong 2023, and which of these players that we consider the marquee players have the biggest risk of regression. And that will all be baked into the decisions we make tonight. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun off-season conversation to have and kind of a, a good exercise, really. And when you brought this idea up, instantly I was like, this is a great idea to just have a conversation about a lot of guys in a, gen- a general sense, but a little bit deeper when it's who can we expect to still be that massive impact that they are? And then other individuals where it's like, you know, who do we think, even though they were on the top of this list or near the top of this list last season may have dropped one or two just based on a couple of things we're thinking about, whether it's age injuries, things of that nature that they're then coming off of. And it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation to have because you're also then going to do things like projection where, you know, we probably projected Gabe Davis a lot higher last season than where we would have him now. So it's, it's kind of a fun situation to kind of feel it out and see where we think everyone kind of stands as we go into 2023 and who we hope to see kind of elevate themselves by the season's end so that they can be the impact player. We hope they can be regardless of their age or their role on the team. I'm looking forward to it, too, because I will be honest with all of you. When I started um, doing the the research for tonight's episode, I had a mindset about this team that I was like, oh, man, this team is loaded. We're good to go. I started feeling a little worse about the outlook of this team just doing this research. I'm just going to be honest. 
But I'm hoping that having this conversation with Luca tonight, when we bring up players that um, we might disagree on, like he might have player X way higher than me. And I will give my feedback on why that player wasn't close to the top of my draft board. And I'm looking forward to getting into it. But for those of you who have been with us since the beginning, you know that when we do snake drafts, we don't just flip a coin to decide who gets to pick first. Oh, I should mention quickly, Josh Allen is not included in this draft tonight. He would be the de facto obvious number one choice. He is off the board. We all understand 17 is the guy. He's number one on the list. And this is everybody not including Josh Allen. Okay. When we determine who picks first, Luca and I like to ask each other a trivia question. So for tonight, I'm going to ask Luca a trivia question. If he gets the answer correct, he gets to choose whether he wants to go first or second, which obviously in a snake draft means two, three before we continue to go back and forth um, for two picks each. So Luca, are you ready for this hard hitting trivia question? Always. Always All right. Buffalo Bills quarterback, Josh Allen, maybe some of you have heard of him, was drafted in 2018. Since 2018, six players on the Buffalo Bills have thrown a touchdown pass in a regular season game. Can you name all six? And Luca, I will give you one mistake. So if you get a name wrong, there's your mulligan. Okay, well, I don't want to spend too much time on this. So since 2018, so since Josh Allen's been drafted, total of six. All right, here. Whoa. Uh, Matt Barkley. Uh, mm-hmm. And I do want to say this. I did not say it doesn't include Josh Allen. I don't want you to forget that one. Right, right. So Josh Allen, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did Nathan Peterman? I don't think I don't think he did. Uh, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to say him. Uh, oh, geez oh my goodness john brown i want to say got one in there good pull um i'm trying not to look at chat too uh because i saw one in there and i've i've been thinking those guys myself there's I some wrong I'll, there's some wrong answers in yeah, chat just so you know um oh geez did dawson knox Dawson Knox, correct? That is a really good guess. Oh, he it's, did a point two point conversion. It's incorrect because he threw the two point conversion in Tennessee, where the image shows him flipping off Josh Allen, which for yeah. some reason I just did to the camera. Like you all don't know what flipping off means. So there's your <laughs> mulligan. That's tough. Um, I'm trying to like I'll go Singletary. I saw that one over there. Like I'll go him, but I don't. I don't. I'm not confident in that one. This is where I think I went wrong. Because okay, my head so, was there and I couldn't think anywhere else. The reason you're thinking Singletary, that is incorrect, is Singletary was the one that caught the touchdown pass from John Brown on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. So right. not to go too much longer, you did mention Nathan Peterman. He did have one. Now, he also <laughs> threw a touchdown pass to Leonard Floyd. Yeah, of course. Floyd was on the Bears at the time. Yeah, yeah. Classic Peterman. Uh, but um, Who am I forgetting then? So Peterman came in in the game in Houston when Josh Allen got hurt the first time his rookie year and actually brought the bills back and took the lead before throwing a pick six. To end the game. Right. Classic. Right, right. 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 Okay. So we have Allen Peterman, Barkley, the three quarterbacks, John Brown, you already yep. mentioned yep. Isaiah McKenzie. McKenzie did against the Arizona Cardinals in the, remember that in one. the Deandre Hopkins, Hale Murray game. Yep. And then Cole Beasley threw a touchdown pass against the San Diego chargers in the COVID year. I do not remember that, although they were the LA Chargers, but yeah, good. Yeah, you're right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they, they would they would not have been uh, San Diego at that point. It was LA by then, right? That was, a good, that was a good question though, but I guess you get choice now. Do you want first or second two? 
Oh, okay. Um, I was not expecting to have the choice here. Um, <laughs> I, was I. I normally bum, get these. Bum, bum. I'm going to go first because, Ooh. and I will tell you why. I think that this is a draft that has tiers. And in my opinion, there's one obvious person to pick first. And then I think there's going to be a very strong mixed bag of opinions for like the next five or six picks. So I'm going to take the easy pick and I'm going to go. I need to, I want to get my notes up here because I don't want to cheat him here. I'm going to go with Stefan Diggs. Now look, there is not a clean bill of no risk for regression here. Stefan Diggs is going to be 30 in November and that can be a bit of an age cliff for wide receivers. We also know, I mean, it seems like it's been pretty minimal, mainly magnified by the media, but there's been a little bit of drama around Stefan Diggs, which could give you concern if, if you're worried about that kind of thing. I'm not. I, I don't think Luca is. But three seasons in a row of a minimum of 103 catches, and he's had 1,200 yards three seasons in a row with 1,400 yards last season. Um, since coming to the Buffalo Bills in 2020, He's top five in the NFL three years in a row in targets. And he had a 28.4 target share last season as the number one wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills. The overarching point here, Josh Allen is excellent. This passing offense is excellent. And Stefan Diggs is the primary beneficiary of having that excellent quarterback. Now that's a two-way street. Josh Allen benefits from having Stefan Diggs, but as Josh Allen goes, Stefan Diggs goes. So I think the best player on this team is Josh Allen. The second best player on this team is Stefan Diggs. I think there's a pretty decent sized gap after that. I feel very comfortable, Luca, that five months from now, if we re-rank these Buffalo Bills one to ten, Stefan Diggs will be very high on that list. Yeah. I, I kind of wrote in my notes a real, real quick uh description for it. It was like, look, you can argue for everyone else, but essentially it is this is a Josh Allen list draft. Josh Allen is the guy, of course, and Diggs is his guy. And when you are his guy of the guy, guess what? You're gonna get be the guy, and you're probably the next best thing on the roster. And there's a reason for why he is josh allen's guy so it makes sense it was a good pick all right i um, want to make sure chat's clear on what we're doing we are drafting buffalo bills that are going to be the best buffalo bills four months from now so there's a comment in chat about patrick mahomes i wanted to make sure we're clear because uh, df forever is one of our better more loyal listeners i want to make sure we're all on the same page we're drafting who are the best buffalo bills in january of 2024 so stefan diggs is off the board luca you're up for two picks yeah um i really wanted that first pick <laughs> So as you said, there's definitely a tier drop at this point. And it's it's interesting because the normal answer I think you would put here has that problem of injury. Um, and so because of that, it's I so my head goes in a couple different places. And I talked about or I mentioned earlier how projection kind of comes into this, of course, naturally. And I'm gonna be a little bit more ambitious with this. And this is based on projection and what I would hope we will be talking about come five, five months from now, like you're saying. And at the end of the season, this guy has taken that next giant leap forward in his year three to really become that guy for us. And that's Gregory Rousseau. Like Gregory Rousseau to me has such an important season in front of him both because he is in year three. This is a year that you'd really hope and expect him to make a massive leap forward, especially in that pass rush kind of 
bill because like he has the run defense behind him and everything like that. But that pass rush has kind of been still okay, but he's needed Von Miller to be on the opposite of him to be really an impact on his side just to help him out. And now he has this absolute opportunity in front of him where Von is going to be most likely missing the first four plus games of the season, just still getting back to a hundred percent from that ACL knee injury um, in general. So I really expect him to be able to take that next step forward. It all indications from him seem to indicate that he is motivated to make that next big leap and become a dominant edge defender overall. You know, I, I really, really think that we could expect something special from him this upcoming season. And he will put himself in this upper echelon on the roster. And of course, as we always mention, is Josh Allen at the top, you just took digs and that's probably the, absolute consensus at two. I think Rousseau could really legitimately be that third guy after a very, very, very good season as he finally shows everyone what kind of superstar potential he has and just gets the output that he needs to, to do so. So yeah, he's, he's going to be my first pick for this one. I'm obviously very high on Greg Rousseau. I mean, I don't know if I would have taken him second, but I love the idea, and I love the way you laid that out about the Bills need him to hit. There is a bucket of players on this team that includes Gregory Russo, that might include Kyer Elam. You could talk about Ed Oliver, Dalton Kincaid, James Cook. We need a couple of those players to ascend to this list for this team to be in the window we expect them to be in. Because when you look at the premier players on this team as it stands right now, you're talking about the majority of them are over the age of 30, or coming off of serious injuries, and it's time for that next wave of Bill's talent to come through. Here's a couple quick stats on Gregory Rousseau. He was a project coming out of college out of the University of Miami. He missed his last year in college because of COVID, took that year off because his mom was a nurse. That was the best decision for him and his family. Totally understand that. Four sacks his rookie year, eight sacks last year. Missed a few games. Um, he only played 13 games because of the high ankle sprain that Luca alluded to. And I think there's a stigma that outside of Von Miller and Daquan Jones, the rest of the defensive line was disappointed, especially the guys that Brandon Bean has drafted high, Epinesa, Boogie Basham, Rousseau, and Ed Oliver. That is not the case for Rousseau. Prior to Von Miller's injury, Gregory Rousseau was the eighth highest graded pass rush grade on PFF among all edge rushers in the entire sport. And he fell off after the Von injury. He fell to 20. There are 64 edge rushers every week that start in the NFL. And so Gregory Rousseau, without Von Miller, playing on a high ankle sprain that wasn't fully healed, was still 20th in the sport. He would have gotten double-digit sacks had he not missed those games. And I am with Luca. I think he has a chance to be an absolute star in this league. I love that pick. I love where your head's at, too, as far as projecting forward. So... Gregory Rousseau is off the board. Who's your second pick? So the next pick and my second pick in this is quite simply one that I know you probably want to have a discussion with, so I'm not going to take too long on this one, but it's just too good. I could easily have taken him with that one spot. I just like the projection of Rousseau and really that step forward in his young career to go there. But another guy that I think based off of injury for both himself being missing the most key game of last season and then also, you know, just everything else going on with Von Miller again, where he won't be an entire season of impact this year. Unfortunately, Daquan Jones is my pick here. 
Daquan Jones is one of those guys, though. Yes, he's going to be, I believe, 32 before season's end. But there's nothing to me that indicates that someone will naturally regress a lot at that age at his position, especially with how high of a level of talent they are and how high of a level of output they have put in the previous season before they were hurt. So overall, Daquan showed how important he was both when he was on the field, but then also, of course, when he was vacant for that Cincinnati game. And we just saw the impact that he made on this defense or lack what what is missing when he is missing. So it, it's easy for me, to be honest, when it comes to the second pick and take Daquan Jones. But I know he's an individual that's a little bit closer to your heart than mine. So I'll let you talk a little bit more on that one. Well, I mean, we both have history with this guy. Just for everybody that knows, when the Bills signed Daquan Jones, he he was not a player that was a marquee player. And Luca came on this podcast and said, let me tell you something. That is not a nothing signing. That is everything that we wanted Star Latula to be for the Bills. And he could unlock a lot on this defense. And that did actually happen last year as it played out. He is going to be 31 years old. So there is a little bit of an age regression possibility there. He's going into a contract year, although I still think it's probably better odds than not that he gets some sort of extension, even if it is a short-term extension. And the biggest thing about Daquan Jones, he made everybody's life on that defense easier. And you don't just have to take my word for it. I looked at the stats for the Bills rushing defense last, last season where Daquan Jones played every regular season game. The Bills gave up 4.3 yards per carry. In the playoff game against the Bengals, where Daquan Jones didn't play, they gave up 5.1 yards per carry. So that is almost a full yard worse than their season average. And I know what you're thinking. Well, wait a minute. The Bengals are a good offense. Maybe they just run the ball really well. No, no, no. The Bengals are not a good rushing offense. During the season, the Bengals averaged 3.9 yards per carry. Now, look. There's a lot of factors that went into the Bills losing that game to the Bengals. It doesn't come down to just one player not playing. But the Bengals got more than a yard of their season average against the Bills. They went from being a not-so-good running team to a very good running team against the Bills. And the Bills went to, from being the 11th best rush defense in the regular season to a team that couldn't tackle in the playoffs. And the reason for that, Luca, quite simply is everybody on that defense had to work harder. Because the guy who makes all of their lives easier wasn't out there. And Jordan Phillips, God bless him, playing with one shoulder, wasn't ready to cut it as the nose tackle in that game. Tim Settle did not live up to the hype of being that backup nose tackle we were hoping for. Hopefully Puna Ford can be that guy this year so the Bills can withstand a Daquan Jones injury if it happens. But I love this pick. Daquan Jones would not have made it back to you, just so you know. So this is a good pick by you. I will say I'm sure people are wondering. Why have we not said Hyder Poyer? Well, maybe we'll see. I'm going to go with my next pick. <laughs> it's not going to be Hyder Poyer. Matt Milano. Matt Milano is going to be 29 years old here in a couple weeks into July. And I think Matt Milano, despite having a first team all pro season last year and making the Pro Bowl last year for the first time in his career, has a real chance to have his best season as a pro. I think he gets this stigma as a player that misses a bunch of games because early in his career, he missed some games. He's missed one game in the last two years. I also think that very much like Hayden Poyer, the Milano Edmonds combination kind of took away from each other. We knew the linebacker core was great, but we were never quite sure who we should give credit to. 
Like, is it because Edmonds is such a unicorn in coverage and he's so long and he can affect passing lanes? Or is it because Milano is such a good athlete and he has such good instincts in the running game and the passing game? Like, who, who gets the credit? There's no question who's going to get the credit this year, whether it's Dotson or Bernard or the, the Bills go with somebody we're not even expecting. What if it's Balin Specter out there? It's going to be the Matt Milano show at linebacker. And I think he is he's going to be an every down linebacker on this team. And I think there's a real shit, real chance he's the only every down linebacker on this team, unless someone like Dorian Williams comes in and just really shines as a rookie. The last thing I'll say about Matt Milano, Luca, is in the times he's had the opportunity to rush the passer and affect the quarterback, he's been very good at that. Now, he only rushed the passer on 8% of the snaps last year per PFF, but he had the fifth highest rated pass rush grade among outside linebackers in the entire sport. Let's fast forward to this year. Sean McDermott is taking over defensive play calling. What do we keep hearing? Sean McDermott's going to be more aggressive. In my mind, that could very well mean more blitzing, more aggression on third downs, not sitting back and just playing the zone that we've seen the Bills play. And I think that could very well impact several players in this defense, maybe most specifically Matt Milano. That's a great last point right there. I was going to be honest. I, I wasn't thinking that until you brought it up. And that actually is a very good connection there. He has, of course, McDermott has said that. So that actually would make sense too, because you did notice Milano make those big impact plays a lot with his very few blitzes that he would be called on. I mean, we all think about the Mike White hit that was obviously off of a blitz call. Um, everything like that. That's it's a great point. Matt Milano was kind of on my list next. Um, if it wasn't for Daquan Jones, Matt Milano would have probably been my pick. So all valid points. I have nothing to add to that. Beautifully said, beautifully done, Josh. You do it all well. So I'm just curious to hear your third pick now. All right. Well, again, we have Hayden Poyer sitting there. I think they're both excellent, but that's not where I'm going. And this is probably going to be a pick that has a lot of people thinking, huh? I'm going to go with Von Miller. I know he's 40, 34 years old. I almost said 44. Sorry, Von. I know he's 34 years old. I know he's coming off of a torn ACL that he injured on Thanksgiving, which is the exact same timeline we saw from Tredavious White last year. And we did not see the best version of Tredavious White, another player we have not heard yet that maybe is surprising some folks. But if you want to be consistently wrong in your predictions, bet against Von Miller. This is a guy that in 2013 tore his ACL. And then the next year, starting in 2014, went on a five-season streak of being an all-pro player and a double-digit sack guy and had a Defensive Player of the Year award mixed in there too. Now, I understand he was 23, now he's 33. The other thing I will say, I don't necessarily think this is going to be a 12-15 sack season out of Von Miller. I don't know that he's going to play in enough football games this year to accomplish that. What I do firmly believe is we will get him back at some point to make a very big impact on the important games this season. And I think even if Von Miller doesn't come back until Thanksgiving, which I don't think is the projection right now, it sure seems like those first four to six weeks is when we can see him. But let's just say he doesn't come back until Thanksgiving. If we see the Von Miller we saw last year, who looking at the stats had eight sacks in 11 games, this is a guy that could have what three or four sacks down the stretch of the regular season, be there in the playoffs and make important plays. And you're talking about ranking the top 10 Buffalo bills. If Von Miller comes back is 
impactful in winning playoff games for the Buffalo Bills, unlocks the pass rush, improves guys like Gregory Rousseau, Ed Oliver, uh, Daquan Jones, just by his presence out there, makes plays to win a playoff game or two along the way. We're all going to rank him in our top 10 and nobody's going to say, well, he didn't play in September. So I'm not going to be the one to bet against Von Miller. So I'm just going to say, I think Von Miller has a really good shot to, to stay at the top of this food chain. Yeah. So it's interesting too, because of course DF put in here that some think Von will be there by week one, but then of course there's thoughts that maybe he wouldn't be back until Thanksgiving, things like that. Percentages would tell you that he won't be back week one, whether he says it or not that he's ready. It just doesn't seem likely, uh, in my opinion. Um, if you want to believe that, if Von believes that, that's awesome. More the better. But I do believe no matter when he comes back, kind of the message you gave, which I believe in very, very clearly, is he is probably not going to be playing as much as much as he did last season. Like, I think they're going to definitely throttle him back a little bit. Just be very careful with that because you need to make sure that you do get him warmed up and make sure he's healthy or as healthy as possible come the playoffs and the actual big impact games where he wasn't there, unfortunately, last season due to said injury. So if if you can get half a season of Von Miller in the regular season and make sure he's healthy come season's end, I do believe I'm with you 100%. I would say as long as the knee is okay and everything like that, even though he is 34, uh, what is it? 34 years old. Mm -hmm. It's it's like, he can still be that guy. He's a freak athlete. You don't bet against future first battle hall of famers until they show you on the field that they finally just don't have it. And the last thing we saw Von Miller was far from him, not having it. He clearly has it. And there's a lot going on. I bet you there is it's, I don't know how you omit him on this list. And Josh, if you didn't take him here with your third pick in this snake draft year, I was, I I'm almost confident I would have taken him with this next pick myself. Very good pick stuff like that. You don't need to play the whole season to still be a very important player for this team and everything like that. And Von Miller needs to be that guy down the stretch for us. So unfortunately due to health, he might not be able to be available until then, but as long as he is healthy by that point, that's all we need out of him. So I, it's a great pick. It's a great spot to get him at this point, honestly. And everything you said is spot on. So he's going to rank very highly if he plays the, the Von Miller that we saw last year in PFF rankings. He'll rank very highly on the Seth Walder uh, next-gen stats rankings. He'll rank very highly in Madden ratings. Speaking of Madden, Luca, oh my God, I, these transitions. Now, I shouldn't compliment wow. myself mid-transition because it kind of takes away from the transition. But here we are. <laughs> Go me, everybody. Luca and I announced last week that we are giving away four copies of Madden 24. And the way to get yourself entered in this contest is follow us on Twitter at Bill's Chat Pod, and you will see a pinned tweet at the top of our account that says all the rules of how to enter this contest. It's very simple stuff. It's it's liking, it's tagging a friend. I'm not going to sit here and read this to you. It's very easy to enter. I will tell you, Luca is very kind. He's generous. He gave you a way to get a bonus entry in the contest just by clicking one very simple button. And, uh, you know, we said this last week. We'll continue to say it until the contest is over. Madden is a game that is near and dear to our hearts. The fact that Josh Allen is on the cover is absolutely fantastic. Luca and I, at one point in our lives, were both very big Madden heads. We love, we love this game for what it's been able to do as far as, like, friendships. It's been able to keep us connected to certain friends in our in our lives because of having that excuse to play Madden with each other. So we are excited to bring this contest 
to you and Luca, I'm excited now to find out who you are taking with your third pick. Just to recap, you have taken Gregory Rousseau and Daquan Jones. I have taken Stefan Diggs, Matt Milano, and Von Miller. Yeah. So this is where I think another one of those teardrops happen. I think Von Miller being that bottom of the second tier that we've had in this draft is a perfect spot for him to be because he is still that guy, but he's coming off of a major injury. He's got questions with him being the age and that injury, but he still deserves to be there until proven otherwise. And this is where my list, honestly, I'm looking at it right now. And I have the individual written next that I think I could go with here, but I'm going to go off script. I'm going to go a couple of names down there. And I'm going to just kind of take another shot. I like doing this whole projection first and then take the safer guy, in my opinion. So I'm going off projection again. And there's another individual that I expect to take a massive step forward. And it doesn't mean he's going to become an absolute, you know, every down player and stuff like that. But I expect the production to go a lot higher and us to see a lot more out of him compared to last season. And that was because last season he was a rookie, Josh. So James Cook is my pick. James Cook is a guy who I think absolutely deserves to start this tier on the simple premise of he's finally being given the opportunity where a nice steady Eddie in the backfield in front of him being Devin Singletary is no longer there. They have brought in Damian Harris to be his kind of compliment, but I really do believe that this entire coaching staff, you know, Dorsey at offensive coordinator, he wants to utilize this absolute bottle rocket in the backfield known as James Cook. He wants to see what he can do with him. He's not going to be a workhorse. You can't be a workhorse in a Josh Allen-led offense, but he can be an absolute beast out of that backfield as a compliment to Josh Allen and being the 1A option now. He's got tons of speed. We've seen all the potential, and I expect, hopefully, that step forward to be an absolute beast in that backfield for us and be the weapon that we really do need out of that next to Josh Allen. So I'm going projection here. I'm going with everything I hope and uh expect out of it with James Cook. So like I said, a little off script off my list a little bit here, but I think James Cook deserves to be this third pick for me in this draft. Well, I love James Cook. I was elated when the bills drafted him and I will tell you, he would not have made my top five. So um, I'm, and I will tell you why I don't know that the path is there for him to have the statistical impact. It will take for us to put him on that list. And I think there's a chance that James Cook is an excellent player. I think there's a chance he's an explosive player. And while we saw him excel in the running game last year in his small sample size, there was so much more the Bills could actually unlock in the passing game, which is what actually made him a very attractive prospect coming out of Georgia to both me and you that we just didn't see. And it's understandable. He's a rookie. Devin Singletary got a lot better at pass blocking later in his career. So it makes sense why James Cook wasn't out there in a lot of passing opportunities. But if King Dorsey can find a way to unlock that with James Cook, everything I say here is going to be irrelevant and he's going to be a very important weapon on this team. But the one thing that gives me pause in the last four years, no Buffalo, oh, excuse me, in the last five years, no Bills player has had more than 188 carries in one season. And I don't know if that's because they don't believe in Devin Singletary. There were times along the way. It sure seemed like they lost faith in Devin Singletary. He even got benched at one point in the AFC championship game for TJ Yeldon. Now, he <laughs> redeemed himself the next year in 2021 and clearly passed Zach Moss and never looked back. 
But there is a chance that James Cook gives them some explosion that they just cannot deny. But until the Bills show that they're willing to give a steady diet of carries to a running back in this Josh Allen offense, I'm in a believe it when I see it mode. So I don't think the volume will be there from a running aspect for James Cook to thrive. I do think Damian Harris or even Latavius Murray could eat away at that. And I think that's a good thing because I think both of those players have some juice. Uh, It's all going to come down to the pass game usage. He can be an absolute weapon in this passing game. There are a lot of mouths to feed, two tight ends we talk about in Kincaid and Knox. Obviously, Gabe Davis is still there. Stephon Diggs is Stephon Diggs. And at any point in time, Josh Allen can say, forget you guys, I'm going to pull it down and run. So I don't know if James Cook is going to be an Alvin Kamara-like volume guy in this offense, but I do think he has that level of talent to be an X factor. So I like where your head's at. I would just say that I'm not as optimistic that while I think the talent is there, I'm not as optimistic that he's going to get the opportunity to show it off. See, and that's that's kind of, I, I fully understand that. And that's where I kind of like went a little off script with it. In my head, I just constantly think about James Cook and I don't look as J- at James Cook as someone where you need to get him 200 plus carries and things like that. He doesn't need to kind of feel out the game. He seems like the kind of talent and individual that can explode out of nowhere any given opportunity he doesn't need volume he just needs the chance and now you you got rid of kind of the safety blanket in Singletary that they were comfortable with and yes what you're saying is right you right he had 32 targets 21 catches last year you know Singletary himself had uh what was it I'm just looking at real quick 52 targets and 38 catches to me that just indicates they were just a little bit more comfortable with Devin Singletary well now you've kind of taken off the training wheels Now it's like, hey, we don't have that kind of reliable, safe guy anymore. And it's like, look, we're going to you, Cook. This is your opportunity. It's not going to be, you know, 80 targets and then 200 plus carries. As you mentioned, the Bills haven't done that basically in the entire McDermott era. The the thing is, he doesn't need that. He doesn't need to be that. His skill set doesn't need that in order to still explode and be very productive. So that's kind of where my head went. And I want to look back on this, Josh, in six months time and be like, yeah, I was right calling that one out. That's where I expected him to be, hopefully, at that. But now I want to look back on it, too. But I I just want to say, like, you and I both agree they need to let James Cook. Yeah, I God, that one almost went over my head. That one almost went over my head. Brutal. Um, Okay, I will transition myself (laughs) to my next pick. Now that we are in the fourth round of this draft, I'm going to go back to my list. And this actually might be a surprising pick to some, to you, and a lot of others, because there are individuals still there that I think could potentially deserve this spot. But I'm just going to drop the name immediately. Leonard Floyd, to me, is an individual that I absolutely want to take in this spot. And it's weird to look at when all healthy, your third defensive end, your third edge defender is going to be one of the most important players on this team. But I think the opportunity that he has to show us is that he can be a massively impactful player at that three DE, that three edge position, because we have had absolutely no production out of that position prior to this season. He has an incredible opportunity to show us how valuable and how good he is being that guy that we just can't get anything out of in that role from AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham, Shaq Lawson, the names go on and on. It's like we need someone else to be that guy in that position. And Leonard Floyd himself is coming off seasons of 10 and a half sacks, nine and a half sacks, nine sacks. 
and has been a very productive player for the Rams his past three seasons. And it, I, I just think he's the kind of guy that could make a massive impact for this team, both early on when he is probably going to be leaned on more, of course, because of Von Miller being out. But then afterwards, as that third edge option with Greg Rousseau and Von hopefully back in that rotation, no longer are we dreading the snaps that will unfortunately go to that guy being AJ Epinesa or Boogie Basham. Maybe there is this guy that we can let in there and you will see absolutely no drop off or a little drop off, not a lot you know, at that spot. So Leonard Floyd is going to be my pick here in that four spot. Wow. Um, <laughs> I will tell you, just let you all kind of peek behind, behind the curtain of how I think there are times when I'm out going for a walk or I'm just kind of spacing out thinking about random things. And I remind myself that the bill signed Leonard Floyd and it immediately improves my mood by about 10%. I am so thrilled the Bills went out and got Leonard Floyd. I think there is so much potential for him to add to this defense, not just as a guy to give a longer runway for Von Miller to ramp up for the season to start, but to add to that rotation like Luca just mentioned, add to Gregory Rousseau, add to Von Miller, and to be an impact player, a guy who's been a champion in the sport, a guy who pushes double-digit sacks each of the last three years. I love this pick. I, I, I don't know that he would have made my list, but I am not about to stand up or sit here. I'm, I'm not standing. They can all see me. Hi, everybody. I'm not about to sit here and slander Leonard Floyd because I am super excited the Bills did this. I'm so happy they didn't sit on their hands with the investments they made at defensive end and AJ Epinesa and Boogie Basham and say, well, we've already invested second round picks. We got to see it through. No, 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 no. Go out there and address the problem. And they did in a big way in Leonard Floyd. I love the pickup and I would be thrilled if we are sitting here, Luca, and we're talking about Leonard Floyd and Gregory Rousseau, as your list has, as two of the best 10 players on this team next year. And that would be fantastic for everybody involved. Now, I will say, I was ageist when I did this. <laughs> and there were some guys I held their age against them. Two of those guys were Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. But at this point in time in the draft, Luca, I just can't let them continue to fall. So what I'm going to do now is I have to feel, I feel like I have to pick between the two of them. And it's tricky. Because I have believed all along that Micah Hyde, I mean, you're splitting hairs. Both of these players are excellent. If I had my way, they'd both be on the wall of fame in 10 years. I truly believe that. Micah Hyde may be one of the greatest plays in Bill's history with that interception against Mac Jones. One of the biggest jump out of my chair moments I can remember as a fan. We obviously know you're a big fan of Micah Hyde. I've thought all along that the way they play Micah Hyde would probably age a little more gracefully than Jordan Poyer. Just, just the way he plays. He's so smooth. Jordan Poyer, maybe a little more physical. Um, you know, those guys don't tend to age as well, but the neck injury does concern me. And I just, I feel like I want to go with Jordan Poyer here. And he's a guy that I, I saw, I saw an article this week. I don't even remember who it was that was like Jordan Poyer. Oh, it was the, the ESPN top 10 list of safeties and Hyde and Poyer were both on. They got votes but weren't included. And it's like Poyer is clearly slowing down. Folks, if Jordan Poyer's slowing down, great. But you cannot use last season as an example of him slowing down when the Bills were using bubble gum and duct tape to hold him together. And in a contract year, with mega millions on the line, the guy laid it on the line to play for his teammates, drove in a car to Kansas City when he wasn't medically cleared to fly. Why am I getting angry? 
I feel like I'm getting angry, but <laughs> I feel like the Jordan Poyer conversation of, wow, he slowed down last year. Well, no shit. He was hurt. He wasn't a hundred percent. It was completely obvious. He wasn't even cleared to fly at one point in time. And he laid it on the line. I'm just repeating everything I just said, but I think Jordan Poyer still has an ability to be a ball hawk in this defense, to be a leader out there on this defense. One other thing I want to kind of hold against Hyde and Poyer this year is I do think Taylor Rapp is going to have a role on this defense. It's a 17-game season. Both of those guys are 32-33, and I think there's a really good opportunity where, let's say Poyer gets dinged up in a game in October, and he's on the positive side of questionable. The Bills now, with Taylor Rapp in their back pocket, can say, hey, Jordan Poyer, like, look, we would love to have you out there. You could probably play. But we have Taylor Rapp. We need you in January to be the best version of yourself. We don't need you in October. Same thing with Hyde. I think you could see a situation similar to the NBA with a little bit of load management with guys like Taylor Rapp. If DeMar Hamlin takes another step off of last year, they are really deep at safety. I believe Cam Lewis, despite the really bad play against Justin Jefferson, showed some good signs at safety last year. So I think they're deep enough to manage those reps manage those snaps. And unfortunately that'll work against both of those guys. But here in the fourth pick, all pro Poe is going to be my pick. And I still feel like that no matter what kind of season he has, he's still going to be in that top 10 conversation. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree with anything. I think the point that you brought up with Mike is neck in the big questions around that. Will it, adjust, you know, will it affect the way he just plays naturally? It's, it would be completely understandable too. Like it just, it affects your mindset, especially what early on, like what is going to happen when he has to go in for that first hit, what is going to happen when he's going to have to tackle someone in the open field. And it's kind of up to him. Is it, is it going to be in the back of his mind? Is he going to be thinking about it? Is our instincts going to come into it and nothing happens? Is it fully healed? Is it good? So on and so forth. I, I think going with Poyer in that situation where you know well, both of those guys are ex very, very key to this team overall, both in the locker room and on the field. And Poyer showed last season why he is so vital for this team, especially when he had those, what was it, a couple games out and it was just kind of cataclysmic to the defense and just everything going on. So great pick by you in the four spot. And uh, to wrap it up here, I'm curious to see where you go with the five. So I'm not going to take Hyde only because I, I felt like it would cheapen the conversation to just take them both and not talk about why I had one ranked ahead of the other. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave him there. I think he's very much in the conversation though and worth considering, but I can't ignore the fact that in the draft, the bills traded up for an offensive weapon. When they said all off season, we need to get more weapons for Josh Allen, all due respect to Deontay Hardy and Trent Sherfield. And Damian Harris, Dalton Kincaid is the mega investment this offseason. First round draft pick should project right into the slot role. And I know we're going to have two tight ends now. And, you know, Dalton Kincaid is going to be this rookie tight end. So with that, my fifth pick is going to be Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox. I think we have all forgotten how good Dawson Knox is. Let's not confuse the Dalton Kincaid conversation by minimizing Dawson Knox. This is not an either or conversation. If you're looking at it as either or, you are missing the larger point. Now, this uh, Bear with me, folks. I'm going to mention a name that's going to make you think, why is he bringing him up? Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski on the football field were not an either or situation. It was a, hey, they're both out there. Good luck covering them. Maybe a little more comfortable one to bring up. Dallas Clark and Zach Ertz were not an either or situation on the football field. They were both out there. This two tight end set will only work 
if both tight ends are on the field. And I understand that Dalton, that Dawson Knox is going to be doing a lot of the dirty work that is important to do at the tight end position that will allow Dalton Kincaid to hit the ground running in the slot, focus more on being a receiver, not worry so much about being in line. Obviously, Kincaid will block at certain times. All receivers do. He will line up in line at times. Gabe Davis lined up in line at times. I don't think he'll major in that. I think that's where Dawson Knox will do the dirty work. He'll be the guy that when there's a blitzing linebacker, he's going to have to think at the snap of the ball, am I hot on this play? Am I blocking? Should I go out and pass? That's the stuff you don't want to overload a rookie tight end with. But when you look under the hood of what's going to be important in this offense, I don't want to get the conversation to the point of, okay, Dawson Knox is going to be the blocking tight end, so he's the Lee Smith. He's not Lee Smith. Now, he got better blocking last year. He had his best blocking season per PFF for his entire career. He was only in line 48% of the time. 45% of the time he was in the slot. Um, he was out wide. There were other snaps like 5% where he was in the backfield, what have you. But I have some stats here on Dawson Knox that um, among tight ends in the NFL, why am I having trouble reading my own notes, Luca? I am, I'm just going to wing it because I apparently, oh, here it is. Um, okay. He, he's still an explosive tight end. He was fifth among tight ends in touchdowns last year. He was 14th in yards. He was 10th in yards per catch. And again, for this 11 and a half personnel to work for Dalton Kincaid to be that mismatch that makes defenses say, do I want to put a linebacker or a big safety on him? So I match up in the running game, or am I going to put a smaller corner on him and take a chance of getting uh, dunked on in the passing game and be in a huge mismatch in the run blocking game. Dawson Knox has to be healthy. I think Dawson Knox is going to be one of the top five most important players on this offense. I think there's a very good chance that statistically reception wise, Dalton Kincaid has better stats than Dawson Knox. And I think three years from now, there's a really high probability that Dalton Kincaid is the number one receiver on this team and could be everything the Bills dreamed of and could be on his way to being the best tight end in Bills history. But at the end of 2023, I expect Dawson Knox to still be very much in that conversation of most important Bills. And I think maybe somewhat like Tremaine Edmonds, where I think the conversation was always a little unfair. I feel like the conversation is getting a little unfair on Dawson Knox. And I think we just need to appreciate that. Is he Travis Kelsey? Is he Mark Andrews? Is he George Kittle? No, but he's in that next tier and he's a pretty damn good football player. That is not a Brandon Bean draft miss. And he's going to be very important to these Buffalo Bills. He's Josh Allen's safety blanket in the red zone. Like it, when it's an and goal situation, it it shouldn't surprise anyone that Dawson Knox seems to pop up all the time. And it's because Allen clearly has something with him when it comes to inside the 20, inside the 10, really. If you think about it, there's all those plays you think about where Josh Allen looked like he was even throwing it away and somehow found Knox in the back corner or whatever it was to get that touchdown that really just wasn't even there to begin with. And it's just, there's a comfort comfort situation going on and that just doesn't disappear because all of a sudden you added anything else to the offense. I think when you're in crunch time, when you get to a place where you just need to have it and you're looking for who you're most comfortable with. Yes. Diggs is of course, Josh Allen's guy all up and down the field, but Dawson Knox has clearly been that guy when it comes to in the red zone inside the 10, when it's an end goal, he's looking for Knox a lot more than anyone else on that offense for the most part. So it shouldn't surprise me. And yeah, I, I think it's a great one to kind of wrap up your list there at five. And um, everything you said is 
very, very fantastic with him. And it's it's a shame that he's kind of becoming an afterthought, but I don't think it's it's that much. I don't want to say afterthought, even though I just did, because it's not quite that severe. But yeah, there's, of course, a lot of intrigue on what's going to happen now, because it's just it's something different that we haven't seen and we don't know what to expect because kind of what Kincaid is. So it's a it's a fun pick and it's deserving of this list for sure. Um, I'll roll right into my pick. It's an interesting one because I have a I have a lot of honorable mentions here and stuff like that. Um, I would love to go with my guy Hyde. Um, you did take Poyer, but the neck thing is definitely where I am concerned with. I, I just don't know how he's going to be able to react and what's going to happen with that. I hope he is exactly what he was prior to the injury, and it's like nothing ever happens. That would be incredible, and then he would absolutely deserve to be part of this top ten list that we have created here. But I'm just not going to take him. I'm going to take one guy where it's like, look this is it. This is where we need him to come back to form. This is where we really hope that he can be that guy. And when it comes to a top 10 bill, not named Josh Allen, you want him to be on that list and he should be higher. It's just, unfortunately what we saw after a big injury wasn't promising. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't promising and definitely seems like he's lost something and you got to be like Patrick Peterson speed in order to lose something and still be okay. So, but I'm going to take Trey white here. I think to round up the list, if Trey White can find more of that confident form that he had in years past prior to the ACL injury, if he can get back to even 85% of what that was, that would be phenomenal for this team and key going into week in, week out every game because we saw what happens when you just don't have that clear-cut number one corner and it's not pretty. Like You just need that one guy that you can kind of lean on a little bit more and just game plan for being the heavier load at corner and then put everything else when it comes to your creative resources on the defensive side with that corner two and you know shading a little bit, help there, whatever you got to do in order to help that second corner with his matchup and whatever's going on on his side. I hope Trey can get back to that form. Maybe an entire offseason of health and everything like that will help him get to that place. Fingers crossed. This is more of a hopeful pick than anything else. But I think this is kind of the make or break for him being an absolute impact player for this team um, and in this league in general. So Trey White's going to be my pick to kind of round out this draft that we're doing. When you look back on Trey White's career, I don't even know if we as Bills fans have appreciated how good of a player he's been. He's been an all pro three times. That's amazing. Two time pro bowler. He was top five in defensive player of the year voting in 2019. He has just been an absolute home run of a first round pick that the Bills took in 2017. Sean McDermott's first pick. I think this is an appropriate spot for him, though. I share your concerns, not only the concerns of ramping up off of the ACL, but he's going to be 29 by season's end. And, and that's a difficult age cliff for corners who aren't coming off of ACL injuries. Now, the Bills, they, they do play a little bit more zone heavy, although I think sometimes that gets a little overblown. They do some things to protect their cornerbacks. Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer can be a cornerback's best friend. A pass rush can be a cornerback's best friends. There are some things baked into this defense that can help a cornerback age gracefully, not the least of which is the fact that Sean McDermott's had no issue in his career saying, hey, cornerback, you're slowing down a little bit for the outside, but what do you think about playing safety? Because almost all of their, every defensive back they have on their roster has a history of playing cornerback at one, one time or another. So I do think there's ways for Tredavious White to prolong his career, even if he does slow down. But I do share your concerns. I sure would love to see him regain that old Trey White form because what a weapon he would be on this defense when you think about the, the high-end potential of what this pass rush could be. 
if you throw in a lockdown cornerback, but I'd be lying if I, if I didn't say I had concerns. All right. You mentioned honorable mentions. You did a good job talking about Micah Hyde. Who else did we leave off? Luca? I'm going to throw two names at you real quick. Ooh. Cause I kind of put them on the same level. Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morse. And here's my issue with them. I think that they're both good. I think they're both very important. They're the two best offensive linemen, and they've been consistently there for Josh Allen. Mitch Morris has been there since 2019. Deion Dawkins since 2017. So he's been there in the entire time, Josh Allen's career. And I think they're both good. They're not great. They're good. They're fine. My issue with a top 10 list that includes Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morris is I feel like I know what both of those players are. I don't necessarily think there is a chance that we're going to look at either one of these players at the end of this year and think, oh, now Mitch Morris is an elite center in this league. Oh, now Deion Dawkins is an elite left tackle in this league. I could be wrong, but I, I think realistically, we probably know who they are. They're definitely good. They're both incredibly valuable to this team. I would hate to see what happens to this team if either one of them leave. But my overall concern goes back to what you said initially to start this entire conversation. We need guys to step up into this top 10 list that aren't on the list right now. If six months from now, we're making a top 10 list of Buffalo Bills and it includes Mitch Morris or Deion Dawkins, to me, that's more of a referendum on guys like Gregory Russo, Dalton Kincaid, Ed Oliver, Kyer Elam, James Cook. Guys that we expected to step up, there's going to be a lot of those guys that didn't if Mitch Morris and Deion Dawkins are in that top 10. I don't want them in the top 10. I want them to be as good as they've been, but outside of the top 10, fringe top 10. And that's why I was uncomfortable putting them in this in this list because I think it would be a downer of a season if at the end of the day they're in the top 10. We share a thought on that. We, we are very much in tune when it comes to how we feel about that when it comes to top 10 bills, things like that. I had uh, Dawkins in my honorable mentions. It's a shame that I had Morris, but there's kind of a reason for it. And I'll bring up an individual that I kind of listed or two of them, honestly, that I listed here that kind of in my honorable mentions are kind of on the flip side. I wouldn't mind hearing these names come six months from now because it would mean that there is a projection going forward that is in the positive nature for this team and everything like that. And yes, I took an individual like James Cook in this draft. I took an individual like Leonard Ford, Floyd in this draft and stuff like that. Those are individuals that could still have a big impact and yet find themselves out of this list because you can notice the impact of someone at a very important position like a Ryan Bates or an Osiris Torrance because they had to come in when needed and all of a sudden solidify uh, positions like Bates moving over to center and Torrance becoming a absolute stout right guard for this team and where he's unreplaceable at that position. Next thing you know, you have this just absolute bedrock of a guard on the right side. You have still good play out of Dawkins on the left at the tackle position. And now you're really cooking with something there. And Bates just naturally has to move to center because eventually like Bates is still young and moving and going like that. And Morse eventually will have to move on at some point or another. And Bates could be that center kind of guy to be the next one for Morse. And you just can't restrict Osiris Torrance anymore. More so that is the reason for that. And Osiris Torrance is on my honorables mention list for that specific reason. 
he seems like the kind of guy that could potentially come in. Maybe he doesn't start initially. It doesn't seem like that's the projection to start, but I would be shocked. Or I said, I should say it this way. I wouldn't be shocked if on day one, he earned his spot at that right guard position. And a lot of things change because of that. And next thing you know, he becomes an absolute staple on the right side at that guard position because of just how good and reliable he can be potentially at that spot. And next thing you know, we're talking about Osiris Torrance in that last draft spot of this top 10, not named Josh Allen draft. I'm with you. I mean, my gosh, we would both be so elated if Osiris Torrance was in this top 10 conversation. You could say it for all three of the Bills rookies, and maybe we can have a Kincaid conversation in a second. But if Dorian Williams takes hold of that linebacker job and just hits the ground running, that would be amazing. But I do think Torrance is the guy with not only the, and maybe even of all the rookies, including Kincaid, the clearest path to a full-time role initially and the biggest opportunity to shine above his competition, because as much as I think there is a path for Kincaid to be the full-time slot, I kind of will believe it when I see it in his rookie year, because they do have a lot of mouths to feed in that role. I know they like Khalil Shakir. They paid decent money for Deontay Hardy. They apparently like Trent Sherfield. Um, you know, so we'll see. I would, I would love for Kincaid to be a, a 60 to 70% snap share guy, but I'm not sure I believe that's going to happen. Torrance is a guy that once he gets in the lineup, 100% snap share off at nature of the offensive line. So I'm with you. Let's have an Ed Oliver conversation, Luca, because quite honestly, neither you nor I are as high on Ed Oliver as some other folks. The Bills did extend him um, $68 million over five years. I don't, I should, I should have that in front of me. That's really bad for him. But it was like basically two thirds of what Quentin Williams signed for with the Jets um, yesterday. But when you look under the hood of that deal, it really is a two-year deal where neither of Ed Oliver's two cap hits are going to be $10 million. And at that point, the Bills can escape if he hasn't taken a step. I will maintain that Ed Oliver is somewhere in the range of average to slightly above average. Um, he has had flashes. Jordan Phillips has had flashes. I feel like we just get a little bit more excited about the Ed Oliver flashes. But some of the stats that are just concerning to me, and it's just PFF, but we all talk about how this defensive line tailed off when Von Miller went out. Von Mill or Ed Oliver was the 54th ranked interior pass rusher on, on pass rush grades of PFF while Von Miller was healthy, which is weeks one through Thanksgiving. He had 2.5 sacks last year. Um, you know, we saw the flashes. He took over the Thanksgiving game against a beaten up Lions offensive line. In a lot of ways, Ed Oliver won that game for the Bills, but you just don't see enough. He was absolutely invisible in the playoff game against the Bengals, who were throwing practice squad guys out there on the offensive line. And I would love to be wrong about Ed Oliver. I'd love to see him realize the potential. I don't necessarily at this stage need him to be a Jeffrey Simmons, a Dexter Lawrence, a Quinnen Williams. Uh, Christian Wilkins, he doesn't have to be as good as those guys. We can take the L on that, that he's not as good as those guys to this point, but I'd love to see him just be a plus starter, which I don't think he is at this point in time. And I, he just really didn't get a whole lot of consideration for me. But again, I would love to be wrong because that would be huge for this defense. I never like to be wrong, Josh, just first and foremost, <laughs> want to throw that one out there real quick, but yeah, I didn't even have him on my honorables mentioned list. And it's just, more from the disappointment of where we're at now with his career arc. It's it's look, he's been okay. He's been all right. 
And that's not good enough, unfortunately, for someone like Ed Oliver with where he came in. Everything you said is spot on. I mean, he's become Mr. Thanksgiving when it comes to his Bills performances because I think it's about 50% of his production comes on Thanksgiving games. Um, That's not good. I don't want it to only happen on Thanksgiving. You can be great on that day. Go sign for the Lions so at least you can do it once a year. Um, What I will say about Ed Oliver is, yes, I wouldn't mind – kind of regretting, you know, not putting him in my honorable mentions, not considering him for the top 10 list because he became a late bloomer when he turns 26 this year and finally kind of figures out the NFL. I just don't see it at this point. Unfortunately, I think the contract that they gave him, which by the way is four years extended. So that doesn't kick in until next season. Um, It just reworked the money of course, of this season as well, when it comes to the cap and everything like that they do have to pay him a cap hit of 20 million that year before they get to the buyout. So that will be a very expensive year before they can get out of it. If he doesn't progress any March more forward, um, which I can only see the headlines now, honestly, but what I will say is yes, I, I, I never root against a player and I want him to succeed. It's just hard to project it at this point or expect anything better out of him because you have seen so much of the same for the past few seasons. And now he's getting into the kind of the peak of his career where he should have already gotten to the heights of what he could have been. And it's just not there. So why would I all of a sudden think that he'll figure it out and it'll all just click in his head here as he turns 26 this season, there's just no reason to do so. It's unfortunate and everything like that. He can be okay. If everyone stays healthy, he's a great rotational piece. I'll call him that. But unfortunately that's not good enough to be a top 10 kind of guy for this kind of exercise we just did here tonight. Uh, two more players I want to mention, Taron Johnson. I kind of just want to throw him in the same bucket as Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morse, where I feel like we know who he is. We're incredibly happy with who he is. If he's in the top 10 next year, I think it means there's a handful of guys that either fell off or didn't step up. I- I'd much rather Taron Johnson be that 11th, 12th, 13th best player in your team than the 8th best player in your team, because I don't necessarily see him uh, continuing to ascend. Although, I do think quietly he and I didn't even mention this with Poyer are two guys that could also benefit from that Matt Milano benefit of Sean McDermott calling more blitzes. Just just something to keep in the back of your mind. Gabe Davis. I think the conversation on Gabe Davis has gotten to the point where I'm not as comfortable now hating on him as much as I think the loudest voices are. You and I have been pretty consistent. We we both thought there was a chance he could be a high end wide receiver too last year. We both are pretty comfortable in saying that did not happen. I think at this point in time, as far as wide receiver two goes in the league, he's he's average. Like he has those games where he flashes and then he has those games where he disappears. He did obviously have the ankle injury last year, which apparently lingered throughout the year. We know there is not a single work ethic issue with Gabe Davis. He might be the hardest working player on this team. And that is saying something with Von Miller, Jordan Poyer, Josh Allen, and Stefan Diggs on this team. Like there are some dogs on this team. And Gabe Davis is right up there with all of them. I have questions about his ability to run the full route tree. I have questions about the consistency of his hands. Um, But in general, Luca, I do think they didn't bring in really any true competition for that starting boundary wide receiver with him. He's going to get opportunities. I don't think he'll ever be a target hog in this offense the way he plays, but he has a high enough A dot where he can still compile yards. 
He's going to be on the field all the time because he's such a fantastic blocker. There is so much to like about Gabe Davis's game that I am just not comfortable with how negative the conversation is around him at this point. Um, but we need to see more out of him. But I would not be surprised at all if by the end of the season, Gabe Davis is in the top 10 conversation. I'm not ready to predict it, but I'm not nearly as low on Gabe Davis as I am on Ed Oliver. I just want to start by saying, I just want to make sure, you know, you said they didn't bring in any competition. Just don't sell Justin Shorter. Oh, <laughs> got him. Oh, man. The messer becomes the messy. Boom. Um, No, so <laughs> I, I do agree with you, though. Like, it's, it, I'm not willing to even, I, I'm still willing to basically question Gabe Davis's ability to be the wide receiver, too, in this offense. Like, I, it's. I want it to work. As you said, he works very hard. I wouldn't put Josh Allen in that hard worker thing. He works very hard during the season, Ooh. but he's on record saying that he kind of takes a break and relaxes yeah, in the offseason. Nothing true. wrong with that, by the way. I, I respect the hell out of it. Quarterback is a very unique and hard and demanding position. You need a mental break. You need to take some time off. So I respect that. You know, he's not in the gym all offseason, but at all, <laughs> at all, in the yeah, that, would, that'd bring you down a little bit mm -hmm. on the hard worker dog category. Okay, is, fair. That's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. There right. you go. But regardless, I love that he works hard at it and he still wants it and he desires it, and that's where I can root for a guy like that. It's not like he's just kind of yelling back and clapping back at people on Twitter who are questioning and questioning him and kind of like getting at him, but then not doing anything about it when it comes to his every day and working hard at it. You know, you see a lot of those cases, unfortunately, around the league and through the years in the NFL. Gabe Davis is working extremely hard at that and trying to get better all the time. And I think teammates also see that. And when you have teammates and, and your colleagues around you kind of rooting for you and pushing you forward, that can only help you when it comes to hopefully getting results and doing better. It just might be coming a little later than what we expected. And we're no longer going to sit here and just kind of project and hope that he can be that guy anymore. Now we need to just see it kind of what you said with um, earlier. You said it with someone, but it's you're at the point. Oh, James Cook. You're at the point where you just need to see it to believe it with James Cook. It's more about the production yeah. at running back, but regardless, it's that same mindset where it's like, until we see some consistency and kind of that consistent improvement out of him, we're not going to sit here and talk about him potentially being a top 10 guy. We hope that's one guy. I was going to even bring up a point with you before we ended this episode. We went through this and there's only one wide receiver on this list being digs at the top of the list. And the only other weapon pass catching weapon primarily is Doss Knox, Dawson Knox. Like that's it. So it's like we desperately need that guy. And if one guy elevates himself, whether it's Gabe Davis or say a Kincaid in his rookie year, they will propel themselves in this list like nothing and no end other because it's just spot on. We need another guy to just be that secondary third target kind of situation, depending on where you are in the field. So yeah, it's Gabe has a lot of work going, but at least he's working very hard for it. So hopefully he can get it done. This offense is begging for somebody to step into that, that second weapon role behind Diggs. We know Diggs is excellent, but there is plenty of volume to go around. If somebody wants to take advantage Gabe Davis is in that conversation. Dalton Kincaid is in that conversation. I would like to hope that there is a path for James Cook to eat into some of that and really, in, really improve his value. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is this was an interesting exercise, Luca, because there was a part of me that got a little depressed when I was doing this. Quite honestly, because I was like, man, all the guys, all the guys I like, Hyde, Poyer, Von Miller, Trey White. There's just reasons to be concerned whether it's age or injury or both. 
And, you know, Stefan Diggs is 30. And there's something psychological about seeing that 30 on a skill position player who relies on speed and quickness. Although I do think Diggs is the kind of player who will age pretty gracefully in this league. Uh, but yeah, this was fun. Luca and I are going to be back with next week as we get even closer to training camp. And what you can look forward to from us in the upcoming weeks is not only will we preview what Bill's training camp is going to look like, uh, we spent a lot of time on the Buffalo Bills roster tonight, but keep in mind, every week the Bills are playing against another opponent, and Luca and I are very excited about this Rivals Watch series we will start digging into on our audio podcast on uh, Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. We will break down what's going on with the teams that are coming up on the Bills schedule. Did they have a productive offseason? How's their roster looking? How big of a threat are they to the Bills? not only in that one game sample size when they play the bills, but overall in the state of the conference, how, how are the teams like the Jaguars and the chargers and the Bengals shaping up against the bills? And Luca, I know we love talking Buffalo bills football, but anytime we get a chance to go behind enemy lines and really look under the hood of other teams, I know you and I are both really passionate about that. Sometimes it's just fun to look at other teams, figure out what's going on. I mean, we're football fans. We're not just Bills fans. Of course, the Bills are our team who are very passionate about, but we're football fans. When it's Sundays, I got five TVs on the living room watching as much as I possibly can. That's just who I am. I know you have a similar setup yourself. We love football. We love to follow all the different teams, figure out what's going on, and then, of course, then break it down for what we think what will happen when it comes to our Bills and they're playing them, things like that, or just enjoy it. Just enjoy it for what it is. It's football, stuff like that. It's around the corner. We're in the 60s now when it comes to that. By the way, real quick, I think it's the Madden in you that when you see that 30 and in Madden, if you're doing, of course, connected franchise or anything, that is when the natural regression to their attributes come and you just get a little upset and stuff like that. Because that's, I find myself doing the same thing. All of a sudden you see a player 30 and you're like, oh, dang, they're going to start regressing. It's like, no, this is not Madden. You can still have Von Millers who are killing it at 34, 35 years old, and it is not a problem for them whatsoever. They are a freak of nature. But unfortunately, this game has kind of programmed us a little bit more so to kind of think once you hit 30, you're going to start naturally regressing down until retirement at, you know, say 35, 36 or whatever it turns out to be. So just a little tidbit on that. I think that's where your head goes with that. I love the fact that I'm sitting here as a 40 year old man thinking about 30 year olds as being old. <laughs> he's way too old to produce as when this podcast goes off the air, I'm going to make all kinds of noises just getting out of this chair. Uh, so yeah, I'm a hypocrite. I sit on the couch. I don't hold myself to the same standards that I hold these athletes, but you're right. I think Madden does play a part in that. Speaking of Madden, do not forget to go check us out on Twitter. Bill's chat pod. We have a Madden 24 giveaway. We would love for you to throw your name in the hat on that. Uh, we'll be giving that away in the upcoming weeks. Luca and I have some special guests lined up in the upcoming weeks that are going to help us bridge the gap into the start of the football season, both from a fantasy perspective, from a Madden perspective, from a Rivals Watch perspective. We have you covered. Please, please, please do not forget to like and subscribe on YouTube, Built in Buffalo. We are trying to make Built in Buffalo YouTube your one-stop shop for all Buffalo Bills content, and we hope that we are providing that for you in your mission to become as knowledgeable on the Buffalo Bills as possible. He is Luca. I did it again, Luca. He, there he is over there. He is Luca. I am Josh McCarty. We will see you next time on Bills Chat Live.